Welcome back to the All Things Sports Podcast, your number one sports podcast. I'm your co-host, Small Town EP, coming to you once again live from the chilly city of Atlanta in a week where the University of Michigan is crowned amongst college football royalty. Draymond Green considers retirement, and the NFL playoff picture is set. ATS is back to give you the real in sports. As always, usual suspects are joining me. Big Kev, live from South Florida. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. I'm good. What's going on? How you guys doing? Can't complain. Trying to stay uh, dry up here in this Atlanta rain. And then the man, the man, the myth himself, Mr. Heat in five. See you soon, June. Call him everything but late for dinner. Coming to you live from NY. How you doing, man? How's the, uh, I heard it snowed up there recently, right? It was, uh, yeah, last week or last Saturday. Definitely had a little bit of snow. It wasn't nothing crazy. So, um, under an inch. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm waiting for a nice weekend of stay inside weather, blizzard like temperatures, but, it's not happening. Um, we're just getting rain. It's 45 degrees and, and rainy outside. So maybe in February we'll get some some rain. Um, some hopefully, hopefully. Now a lot of things to get into, it, gentlemen. So let's just get straight into it. We'll start with college football. Michigan, number one in the land. June, you sent the you sent the uh, the tweet in the group chat about how the number one seed hasn't beaten the number two seed in a little minute. And the first thought that came to my mind was bet on Michigan, then, if that's the case, because this tweet is going public. Now, with that being said, like I just mentioned, Michigan wins 34 to 13 against the Washington Huskies. J.J. McCarthy had a, I would say, consistent, efficient game, 10 for 18, 140 yards, almost eight yards a pass, no picks, no touchdowns for that matter. But he did have some, you know, momentum, not changeable, momentum kind of continuing plays. Michael Penix Jr., 27 for 51, 255 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. June, what really sealed the deal for Michigan in this game, and how did they manage to just pull away in the second half? Well, I mean, Blake Corum, right? You, Michigan runs the ball uh, better than a lot of teams in the country, if not the best. Um, and and I think they had the best player on the field yesterday And for, as far as Blake Corum is. Um, Washington, frankly, hasn't had to play a team that that is so dominant up front all season. So, you know, they they had a habit of making things look easy all year. Uh, And with credit, you know, they are one of the best teams in the country. And so they did that with the skill they have, good coaching, and obviously Michael Penix. But, you know, that defense doesn't have to play a a bunch of run-heavy teams in the Pac-12, you know, all year. (laughs) So... University of Michigan, John Harbaugh and Blake Corum knew what they, you know, they know what they had and they knew what they were up against. And uh, the way for Michigan to win the to win the game was was going to be to run the ball. Because like you said, you know, McCarthy, he came out, he only threw the ball 18 times and only having to throw the ball 18 times and only needing 10 completions to win a college football playoff substantially. I think uh, I think it was no match for Washington yesterday. And unfortunately, that's that's how it, it comes to be at certain points, because um, Washington deserved to be there. Right. And and they earned their spot. They could have contended for the like it was 13 to 20, you know, midway through the fourth quarter. It wasn't like this was a blowout all game, um, just missed opportunities on on their end. 
that I think really, really hurt them. And and when you're playing against a run game like that, you got to, you know, capitalize on all of that. So for me, that's that's how I saw it. No, nah, I totally agree. If I'm not mistaken, Michigan had 303 rushing yards. And the stat that really stands out to me from there is that out of those 303 rushing yards, 231 rushing yards were before contact. Like that Michigan offensive line was just dominating. And when you run for a buck 75 in what is it, the first quarter or something like that, just it, it, it was the, the, I would say the biggest run since Drake in these last 10 years, you know, if we had a comparison in a different part of the realm in a different part of the world, um, I would say that that would be kind of the most comparable run to compare to Drake at this point, because a buck 75 in the first quarter is wild. Kev, you got any thoughts on this national championship game? Uh, yeah. I mean, Donovan Edwards, first of all, had two of the three longest runs in college football playoff championship game history for a touchdown. Uh and set the tone really for their run game with those on those first two possessions. Um, but not only the run game, I thought their defense was what really, you know, gave them that edge uh, and put them over the top because uh, everybody knows Washington is a high powered offense. That's what they do. They look, they look to score points and put up as many points as they can on you. And the momentum I think really swung uh, going into halftime. I think the momentum swung Washington's way. They, they go in for a touchdown, make it a seven point game, uh, force a three and out uh, for Michigan and then come out in the, to start the second half in the first play is uh, Will Johnson makes a great play on the ball to, you know, bat it, bat it in the first place and then come down with it. Um, so that to me was the biggest play of the game was that interception there. Cause that goes from, you could be looking at Washington go down and score a touchdown to tie the game uh, to Michigan already having the ball in field goal range and then kicking a field goal and making it a two possession game. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Michigan, shout out to defense. I love uh, Coach Harbaugh over there. Um, interested to see what his next move is, but um, yeah, I thought I thought their defense played exceptionally well against a high-powered offense. I do want to get into that before we uh, before we move in back into the NFL. Jim Harbaugh's future is kind of you know in in not in question but everyone's wondering he was obviously asked about it after the game like hey are you coming back next year he obviously gave the pc hey i just want to enjoy this right now can you guys leave me alone with all that i just want to enjoy this right now being on top of the world pretty much i mean this he could be more powerful than the governor of michigan at this point in the state of michigan if you're asking me right um do you guys see him leaving to go back to the nfl at this point or do you think he sticks it out? He wants to run it back with a group of guys that, you know, he obviously is going to lose a, a, a good number of guys this year, but do you think that he'll want to run it back again? Because I feel like if he does have any interest in going back to the NFL, coming back for another year at Michigan and then maybe not being as successful with all the accolades do you, that he has at this point, do you guys see him staying? You guys see him possibly making the jump to the NFL again? June, I'll start with you first. I, I mean, I definitely think it's Harbaugh's time now to go to the NFL. I don't see a problem with him staying, um, especially if he feels confident enough that Michigan can get back to where they are this year. Um, it would be, it would be a big thing if Jim Harbaugh goes you know, stays at Michigan and finds himself back in the college football playoff, beats Ohio State again next year. And whether they win or lose in the playoff, uh, 
you know, I think that's a big deal because what he's doing at Michigan is, is you know, to be respected as, as one of the best all-time coaches, you know, there. And so, like you said, he's going to lose a bunch of players, and that's college football nowadays. You know, guys transfer in and out year, you know. It feels like weekly throughout the season sometimes. But like I said, I, I just think it's his time. He, he spent his time in Michigan – he did what he had to do. He went there to win a national championship, and he's finally delivered on that throughout a year of ups and downs where he wasn't on the sideline for, you know, some of the year due to the suspensions and the sign-stealing scandal he's went through. Uh, I think him going to the league and, and kind of just cementing himself as one of the best coaches of all time in general can be, you know, that should be something that he uh, should work toward. And... Vegas is is like the name that sticks out a lot. Um, and you asked me a few weeks ago if, you know, Vegas should just give the job to Antonio Pierce. And I told you, you know, they'd be doing themselves a disservice as a franchise if they didn't go out and do a proper coaching search and, and conduct interviews, you know, throughout. I still do stand on that as far as, you know, feeling like the Raiders do need to do their due diligence and find the best candidate possible for what it is they want to do going forward. However, Antonio Pierce definitely should have first considerations. First dibs. <laughs> you know, like he really, really did prove himself as a coach, as a leader of men, and as somebody who represents the Raider way, especially, you know, seeing what McDaniel kind of left about McDaniel's left behind. I know that's neither here or there. The question's more on Harbaugh, but that influences my thought process on him coming or going. Los Angeles is also you know, a key destination. So I do think to answer your question in, in, in a long way, yes, he should come to the NFL. Yeah. And shout out uh, to Jay in the chat right now um, saying that what you just kind of said, he's going to the Raiders for sure. Jay is saying, and shout out to John days tuned in. Appreciate the love that you guys are showing in the chat right now. Jay, right now. Days. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like you were just saying, it's an, it's a crazy run that he's been on. This is a team that not only is his, it's his alma mater. He went there. He studied there. He got his education there. Um, but this is a team that three years ago during the pandemic season, they won like four games, if I'm not mistaken. It was like three, four games. So the turnaround that he's been able to bring to this, to this, uh, to this program, I mean, insurmountable. To see J.J. McCarthy last year, you know, pulling a Stefan Diggs, which I, I think the move is kind of corny, bro. Go to the locker room. You're not celebrating. But, hey, that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, standing there watching the other team celebrate and then, you know, coming back for Soko, winning a national championship. I, I, I don't know if he, I, I feel like it's, there's pros and cons to him leaving to him staying. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's really obviously, obviously, ultimately up to him. There's speculation about the agent that he's hired that has heavy ties in the NFL. I don't think that really kind of plays a deal with the agent that he's hired that has heavy ties in the NFL, whether he's going to stay or he's going to leave. I think the agent's just going to do his job regardless and make sure that he gets the biggest bag possible. He's obviously been, there's reports of him courting teams and, you know, taking interviews last season and things like that. So I think it's just the process. Kev, what do you think? Is he staying or is he going before we move on to the NFL uh, week? I mean, as far as like, will it, as far as like, does it affect him if he stays and they have a down year next year? I don't think it affects him at all. Harbaugh has been a commodity in the NFL since he left to go to Michigan the first time. Uh, he's shown that he can get a team to the Super Bowl. This is not like a question of is this guy going to – is what he does in college going to translate to the pros? He's already proven that it can. Um, as far as, like, 
what we're looking at though for next year the big 10 expands obviously to uh, add washington who they just beat by 21 points in the national championship game um along with oregon ucla and usc so uh there's big 10 is obviously going to be a little bit tougher uh of a conference next year but it's a 12 team playoff next year as well so um i don't know i think i think I think he's got his pick of the litter right now, whether he wants to say, hey, Michigan, give me an extension and pay me boatloads of money. Or if he wants to go to the NFL and say, hey, I want to be the head coach and the GM and I want, you know, final say, I want the Belichick type deal. Uh, I think he can do that. And I don't think coming back next year and not winning a national championship next year would affect that in the NFL. A lot of head coaching, uh, head coach openings right now, if I'm not mistaken, four or five with what I believe would be more to come at this point. But let's move on to the pigskin, as they say, the professional pigskin, not the college pigskin, right? And you know what? I want to start with those good old boys in Houston because June cut me off last week if I was making a point and he went and he was talking his shit, which, hey, rightfully so, but I would probably do the same thing, even though. I probably wouldn't. But, hey, I would probably do the same thing in June. Very short of guaranteed an Indianapolis win. And I think that Houston took that personal. Cesar Stroud and the Houston Texas Texans come out on top last game of the season, 23-19, to to punch their ticket into the playoffs. June, what was the biggest deal breaker for you and the Colts in this game? I know it was a four-point loss, but a loss is a loss and the win is a win. Talk to me, buddy. How you feeling? What did you see? What did you not see? What were you hoping to see outside of the win that would hopefully get you to the win? <laughs> I got to let that one breathe. <laughs> uh, I got to let that out. Hold on, bro, because I <laughs> honestly, man, Saturday night was was up and down. I do remember cutting you off. You know, I can't say we didn't come to play, right? We came to play. Did we come out the way we that that I expected us to come out? No, I didn't expect CJ Stroud to drop back ten yards and throw a seventy-five yard dot. You know what I'm saying? And and for them to just open the game up the way they did and steal the momentum uh, in the first half. However, you know, we were able to regroup. We were able to get past an early touchdown, a couple stops. You know, we, we couldn't get anything rolling on offense at first. And then there was like, you know, halftime came and, and, and that playoff, it was playoff atmosphere since kickoff. But I don't think the intensity on the field really kicked in until after the half. And we started to see the game just get real slow and tight, pause, like, you know, each play was like a drag. You know, it was like, can we get these three yards? Can we get these four yards um, on both sides? Because at one point, as good of a game CJ Stroud had, and hats off to him, I'm going to talk about him in detail more in a second, but just overview, you know, as good of a game he had, it wasn't like he was just back there carving up the defense comfortably, you know, at certain points, for sure. 
but he had to make a lot of plays, and that's who he is. He's a playmaking quarterback, and so what it all came down to at the end is execution, in my opinion, because coach of the year candidate Shane Steichen drew up to me what was a great play call on fourth and one. We've we've been in a situation on fourth and shorts during the regular season where we find ourselves going to a tight end, going to a back out of the backfield, um, you know, doing some sort of RPO that doesn't necessarily include our starting running back. So although I understand the frustration is, you know, Colts fans feel that Jonathan Taylor should be on the field for that play. Also, some people feel like Jonathan Taylor should have had the ball in his hands for that play, fourth and one. I get it. And I'm not going to disagree with saying that Jonathan Taylor needed to be on the field or Jonathan Taylor should have got the ball. But I think two things can be true. I think Jonathan Taylor could have been on the field. However, Shane Steichen drew up a perfect play call that was poorly executed. And, you know, we are the victim of having Gardner Minshew as our quarterback. And it's not an excuse. It's not anything to, to like, cop out because we would have won with him, you know, and I would have been rooting for him in his in his playoff uh, game. But it's just clear as day that, yeah, I mean, this guy is is not a starting quarterback, you know, and, and you got like you got to be able to make that throw. And Goodson, you know, it's it, it sucks because he was put in a position where he he dropped that ball. And if we're being totally honest here, that's a catch you got to make. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how bad that ball is thrown. We saw how bad it was thrown. You saw how bad it was thrown. Make the catch because he said it in his post game. He it touched his hands. And it didn't touch his fingertips. It touched his hands. So although I understand that it's a bad play or a tough play to make, you know, you you, you got to own that. And so Gardner Minshew gets gets, you know, just as much as the blame because it's a, it's a 3-yard swing pass and, you know, Poor execution. So it, it sucks, you know. Credit to the Texans, CJ Stroud, and who is this? Noah Brown <laughs> going off for almost 200 yards on the Colts and making it look easy is what what really frustrated me. Gus Bradley, our defensive coordinator, you know, a lot of Colts fans want him fired. Shane Steichen has already come and said. He hasn't said he's going to retain him, but he's used words like, I like continuity. I respect what Gus Bradley has going on. And so, you know, that makes you think we'll probably keep the same coaching staff with maybe some minor tweaks here and there, but it seems like Gus Bradley's coming back. To that point, I just want to address how I feel about Gus Bradley being our DC. I respect Gus Bradley. I think he's a, a very good DC. I think that he can be stubborn and not make a certain adjustments throughout games that could help us, but at the same time, this is a team that's depleted at the cornerback position. We're injured at the safety position. And so when when your front seven is getting a job done for the most part of the year, it's tough when you got guys like Dallas Baker, Tony Brown, Jalen Jones rookie, Julius Brent's rookie. You know, these are the guys you need to make plays against elite quarterbacks week in and week out. And so um you know, trying to work with what he has and also being a little stubborn in his ways versus switching it up at points and getting actual production from the defense. 
Um, I, I think Coach Steichen basically wants to see what he can be at a full strength, you know, defense and and what kind of coordinator he'll be for the Colts. But again, credit to the Texans, man. They they came out and played a hell of a game and uh, they deserve to be, you know, the AFC South champions. It's just funny to me. Jacksonville will come up. And I could be looking at y'all with a whole different perspective, like, we are the AFC South champions, and it came down to, you know, just a few plays down the stretch. But Jacksonville, boy, we'll, we'll get there. Kev, what are your thoughts on uh, Saturday night's game? Listen, I need to start keeping, a like, a board or a tally of how many things I call on the money because uh, I'm pretty sure I said that it would be a low-scoring game that comes down to can Gardner Minshew do it, and I don't think he can. And we saw it happen. Like, he dropped back, easy pass. If you hit him, if you lead him, he probably catches that. Like you said, also at the same time, like you got to catch that pass. Um, Goodson, like it hits him in the hands. He literally, that's one of those just hold X, secure catch. You know what I mean? Like he didn't even need to turn up field. He had the first down if he catches the ball and just drops to the ground already. So, um, yeah, as 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 bad as a th- of a throw that it was in that situation, uh, because that's a very simple throw for a quarterback, a professional quarterback to make. Um, you got it. The, the ball hits you in the hand. I always am a believer of if the ball hits you in the hands, you got to catch the ball. Um, but yes, yeah, I mean, CJ Stroud came out, played a great game. Nico Collins, 195 yards. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, it's it's kind of how I picture the game going. Uh, you know, a, a kind of defensive back and forth. Uh, EJ Speed had a hell of a game for, for Indiana, uh, Indianapolis as well. So, uh, I, I would I think I think like June said like their front seven I think was phenomenal like they they bottled up Houston's run Houston tried to get the run going all game they didn't abandon it or anything they just couldn't make anything work on the ground and um you know unfortunately gave up a couple a couple too many big plays um in the secondary yeah I think I think that June hit it on the head I mean you Indianapolis outgained Houston you had more first downs in them you had more time of possession than them. It just comes down to execution. And like Kev referenced, can, you know, can, can the man at the helm get it done when, when it matters the most? Uh, I, I would say big shout out to Josh Downs. I mean, those three receptions that he had, I think, played a big role, 48 yards. I mean, it's a first down every time I touch the ball. Georgia native, by the way, out of Sweeney, Georgia. Um, I got some ties to him now that I live up here. <laughs> um, and I mean, just... CJ Stroud continuing to do what he does, 20 for 26, two touchdowns. Every time he throws the ball, it's a first down from what it looks like. Offensive rookie of the year, I mean, the 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 train continues at this point. I do want to stay in this conference and note, I want to stay in this conference by noting that the Steelers win this weekend that just passed, and they get in only because they got some help from Tennessee frauds who we said would probably finish the season as frauds and they finished the season on top, even though as June likes to say, Rabel's a fired fuck at this point. We'll get into that in a little bit. Steelers win and they get in because the Jags just kind of free fall towards the end of the season. They'll play Buffalo, which, you know, I think they can come out on top of. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Steelers beat the Ravens twice this year. Obviously, once one of the times, which was just this weekend, they didn't have any of the stars on the field. So, I mean, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Both games 
four low-scoring games, 17-10. to 10. That Mike Tomlin defense just seemed to, to shine in both instances. Do we have faith in the Steelers as a wild-card team at this point in the season moving forward playing Buffalo? And even, you know, maybe even deeper into the playoffs, Kev. What do you think about the Steelers team right now? They don't have to go much deeper into the playoffs. They're not getting past Buffalo. Uh, no TJ Watt. And I think that's the biggest loss for them uh, is TJ not being on the field. Yeah, uh, I thought that was announced today. Yeah, I would say if TJ Watt was out there, it's a different story. They might have a shot. But, um, yeah, without the best pass rusher in the league or the best edge rusher in the league, at least, uh, I don't I don't see it happening. Yeah, I did see that announced earlier. I texted June yesterday. I said, hey, hot take. Steelers win in this first round. And then this morning I woke up and I saw that. Watt is out, and I was like, ah, fuck, that's that's definitely a, a ball breaker, as they say. Pause. June, how you feeling? Listen, I, I do not have any faith in the Steelers. I, that Mason Rudolph? Right there, no no Mason Rudolph? No, no, no. I, I, you know what? <laughs> if Mason Rudolph has 100 haters, I'm one of them. If Mason Rudolph has zero haters, I must have passed away. All right? <laughs> If haters are a thing in the afterlife, he has one. And, I get <laughs> and it's like, there's no specific reason for me to hate Mason Rudolph, but for the fact that he just looks punchable and plays <laughs> like... Mason Rudolph is... Is that Oregon State? Who, Oklahoma where, State, where did, I believe. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oklahoma State. I knew it was the, the state and uh, orange and black, but I... <laughs> yo... I just, I just never really watched the game by Major Rudolph where I was just left impressed by anything. And so them clinching because, you know, Baltimore started. Hey, it is what it is. TJ Watt being the missing this week is a huge reason as far as why I have zero. But even if they did have TJ Watt, man, who, who is the sack leader this year, right? I actually believe so. Yeah, I, I can verify TJ that. Just, just got that. But um, even if, even though they do, I, Buff, what Buffalo do over the last month and a half has been crazy. I think they're five and zero in their last five games. Is that right? Um, and they just six. I believe, I believe six and zero. Six and zero or five and I think they're five and zero. But they just went and secured the East on the road. You know, and understanding what's at stake, they've been able to take care of business now. The part of the game that makes things for Pittsburgh is that the most turnover-ready quarterback, right? And <laughs> Pittsburgh can get after that. Pittsburgh knows how to get after the quarterback and force turnovers. But um, I just think Buffalo all around is is too good, uh, and we'll we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, no TJ Watt, no way. Yeah, Watt is the sack leader this season with nineteen of those 19 times he got to the quarterback and it led to negative yardage. So definitely, like I said, I saw that this morning and I was like, ah, maybe I got to walk that take back. But I do think it'll be a good game due to, like you just said, the turnover prone quarterback that Josh Allen is. Some people have him as a MVP caliber quarterback. I have him as a, if you're playing on the other team, you'll probably catch the ball type of quarterback, but that's neither here nor there. We'll stay with this kind of little setup right here. Rabel, out of Tennessee, 
after winning the last game of the season against Jacksonville. He obviously comes from that Belichick tree playing for the Patriots, being coached by Belichick. And now there's rumors that, you know, maybe he in some form, some form or some way, maybe he ends up as a positions coach in New England. Maybe stretch, maybe, I don't think it'll happen, but maybe Belichick is out of New England as a GM and as a coach and, you know, Vable could get in there. Where do you see Vable ending up when the season starts next season, Kev? Um, it's, I think it, it's, I think he's the most interesting candidate because I could totally see a situation where the Patriots retain Belichick and tell Vrabel, come be our defensive coordinator for a season or two. And when Belichick decides to hang it up, you're the next guy in line. Um, but does his, um, I think everybody has an ego and he's obviously a, you know, a highly regarded head coach now at this point in the league. I think he's shown that he can build a culture uh, as he did in Tennessee. Um, so, you know, now it just comes down to, does he, is that something he'd be interested in doing? Um, but I think it'd be, I think, I think the one scenario I could see Belichick returning is variable being the DC McDaniels being the OC and then, uh, Bill being the head coach, but, um, ready to take back the East. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, what I, I mean, what I, what I, what I would see happening the most, especially if Belichick does go to the chargers, like I, I think he will. Um, is is New England obviously being the landing spot for Vrabel? There's already reports that there's mutual interest uh, between the Patriots and Vrabel. So, you know, with Bill still as the head coach, it kind of, you know, begs the question is what does that interest pertain to on New England's end? Um, but I think it's going to be interesting. I think he's probably the most intriguing of all the candidates who are out there right now because of his ties to New England. And his ability to lead a team and be a head coach. So um, I think it's going to be a fun next couple of weeks. Uh, Tennessee said that they decided not to trade him because I think they said it was going to be too hard or something uh, and set them back. So yeah, what, what, what isn't hard for Tennessee? Yeah, I think they just didn't want to do any work and or just like get out of here. So uh, yeah, so it's hard for Tennessee to get into the playoffs. <laughs> so we'll see. I think that, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> You look at Derrick Henry after the game, and he's kind of bidding goodbye almost to the crowd. So it looks like Tennessee's just ready to blow that To the crowd, to the kitchen staff, to the fucking equipment uh, manager, everybody. It looks like Tennessee's about to hit the reset button and and go from there. But Vrabel, to me, is the most intriguing candidate who is currently in the NFL. Obviously, it's Harbaugh. But of the guys who are currently available and free agents, quote-unquote, as a head coach, I think Vrabel is the most intriguing to me. Let's keep, in, let's keep it in the AFC. The Dolphins hand Buffalo a division and the second seed in the AFC. I mean, literally hand it to them. They lose two out of the last three. Shout out to the group chat. I did win some money on that bet. Yay, yay. They lose two out of their last three, if I'm not mistaken. Three out of their last five. I don't want to butcher this because they'll come for me in the chat. Yeah, three out of their last five. Two out of their last three. You know, not as bad of a free fall as Philly that we'll get into in a second, but like I said, they, they handed Buffalo the division, like gift wrapped, gift wrapped with a bow on top with a little Mercedes parked out front. 
with an Audi next door to it. All right. And they will go to KC this weekend. That's coming up. We'll talk about that in a second. Buffalo, as we were just referencing, and Josh Allen and company have, you know, one of the most turnover-prone quarterbacks. I want to stay in kind of the coaching conversation. The Sean McDermott out of the playoff coaches, out of the coaches that are in the NFL playoffs right now, does Sean McDermott have the hottest seat out of all of them, June? Um, I have to look. That's a funky question because, you know, being as though they are in the playoffs to then, you know, try to think that their seat is hot. But I see what you're saying. I would say no, just based on Sean McDermott going six and zero or five and zero to win the division and consecutive for back to back years, or I think this is their third straight year, um, and securing a you know a home playoff game. Like I'm not firing that guy. So based on that, no. If I have to look at the other teams around the league in the playoffs. Um, we're talking Pittsburgh, Miami. <laughs> I'll kind of just join the conversation that I see on Dolphins Twitter. Let's talk about Mike McDaniel. And I don't think Mike McDaniel belongs on this on this, <laughs> this hot seat. But somebody's got to take blame for what's going on in Miami. Granted, back-to-back playoff, 10-plus win seasons. This is something that the Dolphins, you know, weren't spoiled with past 10 years but we have to give credit and we have to acknowledge that this is a very good team this is one of the best teams however there's something going on that we seem to have lost june there for a second apologies to the viewers a couple people in the chat were talking about it uh, I, don't, I don't know, June, if you can hear me, we don't have you right now. I hear um, you. You don't have me? Okay, you're back. You're back. You're back. Keep going. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Um, so something has to get figured out in Miami because they're having all of this success, but they're unable to is what it comes down to. Um, and it's not a talent thing. put a lot of blame on Tua Tagovailoa for making poor decisions or not being able to complete games. Um, but the Mike McDaniel abandoning the run conversation appears up too. And so um, I just want to throw his name out there. And I think that if there was a hot seat for coaches that are in the playoff, I think Mike McDaniel is more suited for that seat than Sean McDermott. I think Sean McDermott has proven himself as a successful coach in this league. Clearly, Hasn't been able to get over the hump hump and get to the conference championship and Super Bowl. But in terms of regular season success and being able to, uh, you know, beat the best teams in your division or sweep them, uh, they, they've been able to do that. That's that's just my answer. Kev? Um, I think if you go one and done, it's hard to justify bringing him back, right? Because you've had how many years now where uh, you've been almost there and just can't get over that hump. Like you just said about the Dolphins, about getting over the hump. Um, 
I don't think he's the hottest seat. I think if there's one coach who goes one and done and uh, is looking at his job, it's Mike McCarthy in Dallas because, you know, Jerry Jones is the most impatient owner in sports. Me and you always think the same, bro. I fucking hate that shit. That was going to be a segue of mine. <laughs> so I think I think McCarthy going, in, going up against his old team in Green Bay, uh, I think if he drops that game, I don't think he's back next year. And a uh, red hot Jordan Love at that. I think they're playing. I think they're playing uh, in Dallas, though, right? They're in Dallas. Yeah, they're okay. playing. Yeah, they're playing in Dallas. Um, if I can just touch on what June was mentioning, uh, pause. Uh, if I can just, uh, you know, a lot. Uh, I guess uh, expand. Hey, on yo, you know the meme of the kid on the bus and he's crying <laughs> and he's looking out the window. Yeah, it's like if I can just touch on. If I can just touch on pause. <laughs> um, the uh, the Dolphins uh, scenario and, and Mike McDaniel. Um, I don't think he's the issue. Like that offense was the best offense in football for a reason. And it's because of Mike McDaniel. There's a guy that uh, I don't know. I've only been saying it for a while. Just mark it down as something else I was right about. But uh when he played winning teams this year, he had seven touchdowns to six interceptions. And um, that's just not going to get it done when you're T-T, do you love me when it's not going to get it done when you're playing the better teams in the league. And uh, as, as good as he's been in the Mike McDaniel offense, I think it's the most hilarious thing to see on Twitter when three weeks ago, Dolphins fans were saying this was the league MVP to now, is he the guy? Um, because, I mean, we saw it. We saw it in back-to-back weeks. He played the top two seeds in the AFC, and he shit the bet. I mean, for lack of a better term, he shit the bet. And um, you can't have a quarterback back there who shits the bet. We just saw C.J. Stroud go into what he said was the loudest um, football environment that he's been in in his career and get a win and that's a rookie um so that's what you're All looking right, for in those, much. that's what you that's what you look for in those big games from your quarterback and to this point uh Tua hasn't provided that for the Dolphins now he could definitely turn that narrative around on Saturday night if he goes into Kansas City in what's supposed to be treacherous conditions as far as the weather uh if he can go in there and pull out a win and um, you know, get them back on track, then, you know, we're talking about a different story. Um, as far as like abandoning the run, you don't have the league leader in, in touchdowns uh, in the backfield the last two weeks. So uh, not having most dirt obviously hurts. I think you can only go to a chance so often uh, because of the type of back he is. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see on uh, on Saturday, because I think we have Kansas city, who's obviously, we've talked about it all season hasn't played the best football and we have the dolphins who played maybe the best football up until three, four weeks ago. So uh, it'll be interesting game. I think it's going to be a good game, but we'll get more into the specifics on Thursday. Yeah. Shout out to Jay in the chat referencing Rabel and maybe Rabel ending up in Atlanta or Carolina. I do like the Atlanta look. I don't like the Carolina look. I don't think that Rabel is a type of personality the type of person that would put up with a, an owner like David Tepper um, being all up in the all up in the Kool-Aid, as they say, or uh, all up in your video, 
as Suge Knight once said at the, at the awards show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, wanting to call plays when you're an owner and things like that. So I don't see Vrabel putting up with a personality like David Tepper, but I could see him in, L- in LA, wow, in Atlanta, uh, making use of Kyle Pitts and uh, yeah. John Robinson and, and the talent that's down uh, that's down here right now. So I actually, I, I could see Vrabel in Atlanta. I don't know how uh, how what kind of incentives they would give him to come to to come to Georgia and to and to coach out of the Mercedes Benz Stadium, but I think Atlanta would be a much much uh, more efficient I mean, look than Carolina, in my opinion, anyway. You know, shout out to Jay for the comment, and we're gonna get to these other ones too. Um, AJ said, "Shout out to AJ." AJ said, "Dolphins twenty four, Chiefs seventeen. Obviously, a Dolphins fan there, so." Yeah, June's mic keeps cutting out when uh, he talks about the Dolphins. I don't know if this is some type of <laughs> some yeah. type of voodoo that they put on your mic, bro. Pause. That's crazy. Yeah, we apologize to the uh, to the listeners right now. We're having uh, some technical difficulties with uh, June's sound right now. My shit cutting out like that for real? Nah, it was. Yeah, 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 it was. Damn. What What's did y'all hear? When you went to the chat, nothing. Look, all right. So this is what happens when you go live. You can run it back. Can't hear June. We're getting can't hear June. Yo, Kev, take over for a second, bro. No, we can hear you now. Uh, all right. Yeah, you're good. You're loud and clear, bro. So as far as Atlanta, I want to know. If they're going to think, okay, you know what? We're a quarterback, not away, but we need a quarterback. That's one of the the biggest things here. We have talent on the outside with Drake London. We've got Kyle Pitts, and we've got B. John Robinson. Like, we need an offensive mastermind to come in here and turn this bitch up. That's my thoughts on if I was Atlanta's front office, Arthur Blank, who I'd be looking for. Maybe a Ben Johnson, maybe a... uh, a Joe Brady, some somebody that you know has that offensive mind. Now, Dorsey. When we're talking about Carolina, I'm just interested to see what you guys think, and if anybody in the chat has any type of idea, who's going to be the guy to take that job? Because it's going to be somebody who who had who really really has either has just been dying to get this head coaching position or somebody who truly, truly believes in what they stand for can come in and change this all up because the situation is, is scary in Carolina for years right now. They, it's not just a this year, next year problem. It's like, they've got at least another year, two, three of future issues that they can run into. So it's not going to look pretty for a few years. Who's going to be the guy to come in and take the job? And even at that, it's not going to look pretty. And once again, I got to reference David Tepper. You're dealing with an owner that, you know, is just, I would say, fire happy. Like, if you don't please me, pause in the, in the first, you know, six, seven, eight games. If I don't see what I want to see in the first six, seven, eight games, you're not going to make it through to week, you know, 17, 18. So th- that just being on eggshells the entire season, it's just that that just adds to the to the ugliness that is, you know, taking that job in Carolina. Again, my. I, I agree. Kev, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of guys in the league. I heard this once and it's always 
rung true for me since then is there's 32 head coaching positions in the league and guys who are coordinators in the league for a long time aren't going to pass up a job because it's in Carolina or because, you know, it's, it's Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but you look at a guy like Antonio Pierce. I mean, if Vegas doesn't choose to keep him, he's got a rookie quarterback over or going into a second year quarterback in Bryce Young. Uh, but maybe he's someone who feels like, all right, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to bring my culture. I'm going to change the culture here in Carolina and really uh, get the ball rolling here. Uh, a name I like, though, with all the offensive weapons and just like you said, needing a quarterback in Atlanta is uh, a guy whose head coach was just fired. And who knows if he's going to stay on staff. But I love Eric Bieniemy to uh, to get a, a head coaching job finally and utilize those weapons and see what he can do with them. Atlanta gonna get their black head coach. It's beautiful. Um, shout out to you for agreeing that. with Ant. Ant is in the chat. He said could be uh, AP if the Raiders do him wrong, and I agree. I, I think he can just make it. You know, the Carolina Raiders, <laughs> and and kind of take that swag over there. Um, shout out to AJ. Shout out to John Days in the chat. Real quick, guys, they want to hear about the Giants and Wink Martindale. You know, obviously he stepped down or there was some sort of parting ways today as DC for the giants. And um, I know that the numbers weren't the best as far as the New York giants defense. Um, they were on the field for a lot of this season, I, I believe, and their offense didn't do much to help them out. So, you know, that's what you're going to see out of a, a defense that has to play a lot of the game, every game and, and find ways to score because the offense can't, um, so I'm not going to put those numbers based on this year on Wink Martindale. I think Wink Martindale is a guy who can win over a locker room, who has all the guys respect and who knows what he's doing. Now, does that mean he's the guy for the job? Does that mean he's still one of the better defensive coordinators in the league? No, but he can prove that in the near future. And I think that that'll ultimately be better for him as far as situationally uh, because in, in New York, they've, they've got a lot to figure out and it's crazy because they have a lot of talent over there on offense and on defense. And, you know, on defense, they got some guys, they got Dexter Lawrence, they've signed Bobby O'Karake, um, Adoree Jackson's not too bad. And they also have uh, Xavier McKinney. So, and Isaiah Simmons, there's a lot of talent to work with, but offensively and now with Coach Dable kind of going through that sophomore slump, it's just a lot of uncertainty. So, yeah, I, I would like to see Wink Martindale, uh, you know, DCing another team uh, and 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 having success. Kev, uh, yeah, I mean, the Giants are a mess at this point. I mean, you just paid Daniel Jones all that money and got what you got from him this year. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough situation there, especially for Dayball, uh, to see what he plans on doing on offense. He's obviously the offensive guy um, in that locker room. So, uh, interested to see what his plan is going forward with Daniel Jones or if he plans on moving forward with Daniel Jones or uh, what they plan on doing with, with him this offseason. I would imagine you have to move forward with Daniel Jones after the contract you gave him, at least for one more year and see if it works uh but coaching staff don't really have all that much time to uh to make things work like that so um 
it that offense looked 10, 50, 100 times better with Tyrod Taylor. I'll tell you that uh, when Tyrod Taylor was back there. So maybe you just need a competent quarterback back there. And maybe Daniel Jones got the money and decided I got what I need. Ran off on the plug. <laughs> so uh, I'm interested to see where they go uh, on offense. And obviously, like like you said, the, the talent is there on both sides of the ball. I thought they would win the East this year. Um, that's one of the things I was actually wrong about. So uh, it's, a, it's a rare thing for me to be uh, that wrong about things. So, Hey, since we're talking about well, who's wrong and right about certain things, I believe now that it's week 18 and I can finally just chapter on this NFL season, I told you guys that the Ravens were going to have a top three defense and a top five offense. And they had enough offense the rush offense and they had the sixth best total offense they finished with the number one total defense so shout out to them boys because i i just i just thought with with the way the roster was currently constructed the draft picks what they did in the offseason bringing odell beckham getting a little extra help there um after everything that like we remember how this summer went right lamar jackson was set to be a free agent and nobody wanted him and, and he's going to be the MVP in February. It's pretty crazy. I have a photo in my phone I was looking at the other day, and it's the Colts jersey photoshopped onto Lamar Jackson. And it's like, of course, I love Anthony Richardson, but, man, I would I would love for Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback for my team. So shout out to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, what they've been able to do, you know, finishing as the best team in the league, in my opinion. I think they are the team to beat going into the playoffs. Um, if you want to argue San Francisco, that's fair. But the Ravens uh, understood the assignment in 2023 so far. Let's see if the playoffs, they find that success as well. EP, keep us going. Yeah, since we're talking about wrong or right, early on in the year, we had an episode we wanted to give out some early hot takes. And I said, hey, early hot take. This is like week one or week two. I said, hey, the Bengals aren't going to make the playoffs. And would you look at that? Would you look at that? The Bengals aren't in the playoffs. Fuck wow. Cincinnati. Twitter for, can come for, for me all for, they want. However it works out, it's not going to work out for them. That's what you're saying? <laughs> and you know what? I, I, I said on Twitter, and I'm standing on it on the pod. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs next year either. But I digress. Speaking of the Giants, they did finish the season with a win, like Kev was just referencing, Tyrod Taylor and company. With uh, hey, Tommy DeVito did go two for two in that game. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to overlook his two attempts and two completions. The name of the game is ratios, and that's a hundred percent. I, you know, I <laughs> give it to him. But neither here nor there. I digress. They did finish the season on the win, twenty-seven to ten against the Philadelphia Eagles, who they just lost to a couple weeks prior. The Eagles, man, one and five in their last six games, free falling their way into the playoffs. Kev, do we have faith that the Eagles can make another Super Bowl run, or have they peaked at this point? Uh, I don't think they peaked. I mean, they um, obviously they're a little banged up, but um, I think it's. It, I, I, do you think like at halftime they're like, all right, the game's over. Let's see what Mariota's got and uh, give David Carr his wish. <laughs> uh, but uh, you talk about ratios. The Giants actually uh, were the number one team in. Uh, turnover to takeaway difference. So didn't translate to wins for whatever reason. 
but they've all they did a good job all year of uh at least forcing turnovers and they did it again in uh in Philly and Philly's kind of playing their worst football at the worst time uh although they are the last team to beat Buffalo um it's it's been a weird season for them they like the talent is all there from last year nothing's really changed much if anything I think they've gotten better as far as their roster is concerned uh you add defensive rookie of the year Jalen Carter uh you add DeAndre Swift in the backfield um so I I think looking at their roster from last year to this year I think the roster is improved uh but something just isn't working uh at the moment there and whether it's Jalen Hurts and them trying to keep him in the pocket more or um them just not running the ball as much as we're used to seeing them run the ball uh there's some sort of disconnect going on because it's a talented team that probably should have won the NFC East um if they didn't you know go on this on this collapse at the end of the year fair fair june has it, have the eagles peaked do we see them in another to, super bowl to run Ken's point you know kind of worst time of the year i don't know that it's the worst time of the year this this might be the low key the best time of the year cuz they did you know go 1 and 5 and they let the division slip out of their hands um which I always say this until it changes. The NFC East is a revolving door of winnings uh, of champions. And, and you know, there's no one winner in that division year in and year out. So we saw this coming. However, one in five is, is, is most certainly alarming. They didn't have to win last week, uh, this, you know, this past week. They're playing Tampa Bay on the road in the first round of the in the wild card. Tampa Bay, for what it's worth, you know, has been on a Baker Mayfield's December looks amazing. And I think that that team has a chance to kind of show that, hey, Brady left and we're still winning playoff games, right? When Brady was here, first of all, this is a revenge game for the Eagles if, if they needed any other motivation. Because when Brady was in Tampa and the Eagles were just kind of like, one year away, you know, Brady did that to Philly in the first round. I remember that. Now, here's the get back. And the whole thing about it is we just got to win tomorrow or we just got to win this week. We just got to win this week. The Eagles, guess what? One and five, 10 and one means nothing. Means nothing. Because not to say it means nothing, you know, wholeheartedly they got to this point and it got them a wild card spot great but from now on it's zero and zero and to think a team with Jalen Hurts Devontae Smith DeAndre Swift Jalen Carter Fletcher Cox Brandon Graham you know these guys who've been in the playoffs multiple times who've played in a Super Bowl aren't going to be ready versus a team like Tampa Bay for that matter, any team in the playoffs. I think Philly will be ready. And if they listen, if they had to lose every game for the rest of the season that they they had to lose in the month of December, great. They have a chance right now to prove that we can gather around each other. The locker room is not lost. This team still has a lot of talent. 
and we still know how to win games. Coach Sirianni has to step up, and I think it's going to be a big, big game in his career um, because if they do lose this game, we're going to look at Coach first. Everybody's going to look at Coach first. Thousand because percent. there was rumors Thousand. that the locker room was lost. It's upside down, this, that, and third. And I don't believe those to be true. And I'm not saying just if they lose this game, that will become true. However, again, blame has to be placed somewhere. And if calls are what's not being – like play calls are what's being uh, disputed and not agreed with, that's on Sirianni. I do want to point out, however – in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to ten games. I mean, let's look at AJ Brown's numbers since November fifth against Dallas. All right, so he got seven receptions for sixty-six yards and a touchdown, one for eight, five for thirty-seven, and a touchdown. San Francisco eight for one hundred fourteen, Dallas nine for ninety-four, Seattle five for fifty-six, New York Giants six for eighty. Cardinals four for 53 and yesterday before he got hurt uh, or Sunday before he got hurt one reception for nine yards. I mean, the lack of production just speaks for itself. This is a guy who was averaging over 105 yards a game, 110 yards a game for a good six to seven weeks and just totally, you know, got figured out. I want to say because I don't think it was a thing of Jalen Hurts not wanting to give him opportunity. I don't think it was a thing of play calls not being drawn up his way. I think it was teams figured out how to stop A.J. Brown, and it worked. Um, A.J. Brown, I think the Eagles go as far as A.J. Brown can take them offensively. And if he's not going to be healthy, then that's going to be that's going to be very, very crucial for the playoffs. But I do think they'll take care of Tampa Bay nonetheless worth noting is that these teams didn't meet in week three in tampa bay eagles obviously won because they you know were on a winning streak earlier on in the season 25 to 11 they did outgain tampa bay to a tune of 472 to 174 each team had two turnovers philly had 27 first downs to tampa bay's 12 first downs obviously both these teams have done 180s since then i would you know, yeah, I would say Tampa Bay's done a 180 and, and, and Philly's done a 180. So it, it's going to be a good first round. We'll talk more about that on Thursday's episode. We'll stay in the NFC South. Last game that we'll talk about this week, and that just happened, the Saints game. <laughs> and we all know what we're going to talk about. So let's talk about it. Victory formation was called by Dennis Allen. And in true Jameis Winston form, he says, fuck that shit. We're giving Jamal Williams his first touchdown of the season, his only touchdown of the season. One yard out on the one-yard line. Are you standing behind Jameis on this, Kev, or are you on the Shannon Sharp side that said, cut Jameis immediately? Um, listen, I mean, if the, the offense was was for it, I mean, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> The game didn't matter. You're both out of the playoffs. Let Jamal Williams get his touchdown. He led the league last year in touchdowns and had to wait until the final second of week 18 to get his first one. Um, it doesn't bother me one way or the other. Like, you know, they got a, I think Jameis actually said this. He was like, we got an interception down to the one. So if they scored the inter- on the interception, would it still have been disrespectful? 
Um, and it's like, yeah, bro. Like, I mean, the, the only thing I would say is they lined up a victory formation and then ran a play. Like, that was the only thing that I think was the, like, negative side of it. Like, if you're going to make the other team think you're just taking a knee and then you run the ball, that's a little, you know, over the top. But um, I, it is what it is. I, I thought the best thing to come out of that game was the uh, – I, I don't know if it was Dennis Allen who was wearing black Air Forces, but uh, somebody on the – St. Sideline was wearing black Air Forces, which um, went along with the Falcons re schedule release where they put black Air Forces for the two Saints games, saying that basically they were going to run in. And oh, man. Take their shit. So um, and then the Saints uh, shout out to their social media for posting the picture of just whoever it was wearing the black Air Forces. That, that that was my biggest takeaway from that game. Was the Black Air Forces. I Black I, Air Forces. I definitely I definitely share the sentiment of, hey, if we got if we scored on the pick, what would have been the difference, right? I did think that the coach meetup was very amusing, um, and then you have Atlanta's uh, DC just casually walking by and saying "bitch ass motherfucker." That was hilarious because the the microphone caught that too. June was it disrespectful? Or is 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 it it is what it is type of situation? Well, it is disrespectful. It is. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's not. I do I agree with it? Yeah, I agree with you know the players getting together, like Kev said, to kind of get one for their guy and and celebrate him in a it, you know, it's kind of bigger than the moment is bigger than like that specific moment in the game. Um is it disrespectful? 100%. You got to stand on business when you do something like that. Like, we are, one, disrespecting our own head coach because he told us to do something and we're not doing it. That's first. Second, we're disrespecting the team lined up across from us. Now, whether that, that matters to me or not, it doesn't. I'm not, I'm not the type of person that when I see a team do a fast break layup, it's like, oh, classless, just get them out of the game. I, do I agree with it? Like, no, if they're, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, victory formation, if it's, you know, garbage time and, and, you know, just run the clock out, take the shot clock. But if you do it, I'm not going to be the one to pick a fight with you. I'm not going to go and, you know, say cut them. Also, I've never played in the NFL like Shannon Sharp. So maybe he feels a certain way because of, you know, him being a part of that brotherhood. However, Again, is it unsportsmanlike? Yes. Is it disrespectful? Yes. Jimmy Graham came out in a tweet, Kev, we were talking about it, where he's like, listen, Shannon Sharp needs to lay off him. Jameis is my guy. He's one of the best teammates I ever had. I love him. We agreed on it as a team. And also, fuck the Atlanta Falcons. Like, that's the NFC South. That's And this is, at the same <laughs> time, what sports should be about. Rivalry, banter, you know what I'm saying? A little bit of chippiness. Like, nobody went and hit somebody low. Nobody went and tried to bounty gate anybody. We just fooled y'all. That's it. And like Jameis Winston said, it was 41. What happened about them? What about them other 41 points? <laughs> Yo, he's a comedian, bro. Y'all mad about these six? And by the way, Jameis Winston is is 100% by far the funniest person in the NFL. And <laughs> it might be NFL history, but right now as it stands, he's the funniest person. I wanted to go to the chat real quick because we got some some comments. Absolutely. Um, 
they were talking about the Giants when we were Jay and 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 Lou. Jay said uh, outside of Darren, Darren Waller, he's he's even questionable. And Saquon, the whole offense can go. Hmm. And then um, Lou said that Waller was my biggest disappointment. Hyatt also has a lot of potential. I do think what listen, a, a good tight end needs a good quarterback to get him the ball. I'll say that as far as Darren Waller, he'll be fine. Jalen Hyatt, a deep threat receiver, needs a good quarterback. It comes down to quarterback play a lot of, a lot of times. So um, Lou said, I, I, I effing hate the Eagles, but playoffs are all that matter at this point. They did lose to the Cardinals and the Giants, but we'll leave that alone. Shout out to Arav, shout out to Crystal, shout out to Vanessa, Eagles fans. Those are the Eagles fans I know, and um, they had to take that L on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Right here. But uh, – yeah. I believe this is Rodney. Shout out to Rodney in the chat. He said, unsportsmanlike completely. And then he said, so the Dolphins should have scored one more time on the Broncos to make history? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about it. I do wholeheartedly believe the Dolphins should have taken advantage of the situation and made NFL history. If you ever put me in a position to be recognized as the best to do something or breaking someone's I'm gonna do record it. and yeah. I am in arm's distance and doing it, I'm taking my shot. Thousand percent. In that Dolphins game, it was also fifty-six to fourteen at one point, or fifty-six to thirteen, and Mike White threw a sixty-plus yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson. So, I mean, I don't understand what the like. This has been going on all year, and then Dolphins fans were upset because Tyler Huntley threw a touchdown in the in the fourth quarter of that game. It's like, bro, you guys are literally doing this to Denver. Yo, big shout out to Robbie Anderson, Brad County boy, South Plant, South Plant. My thing is like, okay. I can I can understand something being unsportsmanlike, but I feel like unsportsmanlike in certain contexts is a part of the game. I think unsportsmanlike and 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 a little bit of disrespect and a little bit of uh, of chippiness and a little bit of I don't fuck with you. We don't want y'all to fuck with us. That's part of sports, and and you get the best out of players with that when when those type of things are involved. When you look at the Super Bowl, that's the biggest game of the NFL season. And as soon as the game starts, the energy is just up here. And it's not because these teams hate each other. It's because what they're playing for. But when you take a rivalry game like Red Sox-Yankees or UMFSU or in the NFL, we can go with uh, maybe KC and or Dolphins-Jets, something like that. Like or Duke Carolina. Always some sort of pregame. You know what I'm saying? Shit talk on the field where it's just a different vibe. We don't rock with y'all like that. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm never going to be the guy. Maybe I'll be, you know, maybe I'll, I'll grow up one day and turn into the old guy who who cries about it. But um, as it stands right now, I'm, I'm all for teams running up the score. I'm all for, like, we are professionals. Y'all get paid millions of dollars. And y'all talk about integrity. When we talk about integrity, integrity to me, non-cheating, I think cheating, like sign stealing, like, um, you know, uh, banging on a trash can to win a World Series. God damn it. That's ruining the game. That's Fucking trash throws. You know, that's showing lack of integrity. But whooping your ass for 60 minutes while the clock's still running? Well, that's all within the rules, my bro. So. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's. Hey, what are you going to do? Like you said, and like Jameis said, what happened to the other 41 points that we just put up on you? Why, why, are, these, why are these seven points, you know, you know, sticking in your ribs so, so much? Pause. That's crazy. Let's, 
take it over to the NBA before we get out of here. About to hit the hour 10 mark. Appreciate, hey, yo. <laughs> appreciate everyone that's tapped into the to the live right now. If you're if you're tuned in live, thank you so much for tuning into the chat. We appreciate you. If you're listening on all your streaming platforms and your podcast streaming platforms, whether it's Spotify Podcast, Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, don't care. We love you. We appreciate you. You could have been anywhere in the world during this, you know, hour or listening to anything in the world during this hour, but you're here with us and we appreciate you for that. John Morant came back from his NBA gun charge. That's how I'm gonna say it. NBA gun charge. And they were four the Grizzlies were four and oh. <laughs> the Grizzlies were four and oh since his return. He played nine games, they ended up six and three, and now he's out for the season. How big of a loss is this for Memphis? Can they still make the postseason without John Morant, June? Shit. How big of a loss? I didn't they go on like a 14 game losing streak without him? <laughs> <laughs> they had to start singing that song by by Kelly Clarkson, since you've been gone, they're gonna start singing that shit when they get on their new three, four game win streak, uh, losing streak. Because what what he does to for that team is is just it's it, it goes unspoken. I mean, there's no guy who can be who can replace John Morant in Memphis. Um, even if you bring in another All Star caliber player, it's just Wow, I like to see what Kev says. To me, even if you bring in another all-star caliber player, Ja Morant has something different about him. He has something different that he does to the crowd. He has something different in his aura. He has something different as far as his explosiveness and athleticism. And also, he plays with his heart. Um, So, you got to give it up. I mean, season's over in Memphis. And and I don't expect us to talk much about the Grizzlies on the podcast for much more of this season. Kev, I do want to challenge you and and ask you what what that face was you were making when I when I was alluding to not being able to replace him. So, so okay, I think Memphis did it um, did a terrible job this offseason, uh, letting Tyus Jones yeah. go because you look at Memphis before this season. And with Tyus Jones as their starting point guard, whenever Ja was out, they were 37 and 24 playoff team, even without Ja. Um, yep. Obviously, I think that Dylan Brooks for letting Dylan Brooks go, bringing Marcus Smart in kind of is a wash. I feel like they're both kind of give you the same sort of impact um, on the defensive end. And then you hope they can knock down their, their open shots. Um, but Tyus Jones, to me, is one of the most underrated point guards in the league. He's gone two years in a row breaking his assist to turnover ratio record for a season. And when I say it all the time, if you're not turning the ball over as my point guard, you can have the ball every time down the floor because you're not giving the other team opportunities. We see it with Tyrese Halliburton now in, in Indiana. Um, so that's that's where I think this season was lost in the first place. So you know, you know, Jaws out the first 25 games and Tyus Jones is no longer here, and they didn't really do anything to address that. And so I think that's been their biggest issue all year is finding some Marcus Smart's not a Marcus Smart was the point guard in Boston because they had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's why that worked because Marcus Smart did not need to be the point guard. They were, you could have Jalen Brown bring the ball up. You could have Jason Tatum bring the ball up. Um, But he's not a guy that is going to come in and take the place of John Morant. So um, I think that's where they, they messed up before the season even got started. 
And uh, no, but to answer the question, no, there's no, there's no shot that they're making. Plays. Only one man can change the the Grizzlies, and his name is Tyus Jones. And he went to Duke. <laughs> you know, hey man, something about those Duke players that just do something for it. Come on, man. Exactly. But, uh, oh, speaking of a uh, Duke player, thank you, Coach K. I've always wanted. Yeah, thank you, Coach K, for everything you did. We miss you. Yeah, we we miss you. Although John Shire doing a hell of a job. I don't remember the exact stat, but I am going to butcher it because it's worth noting. If I'm not mistaken, through his first season and a half, he has the highest winning percentage as a Duke coach um, in his first season and a half so far with the games that have been played this season and last season. So definitely shout out to John Shire. But we'll take it back to the pros and we'll take it over to the West Coast. Draymond Green sent to re- set to return soon. Oh, and- set to retire. <laughs> he's set to knock a knock a knock a naysayer out. That's what he's set to do. Oh my god! Um, yeah, Draymond Green set to return soon. Obviously, we're all seeing. You know, he had had thoughts of retiring. Him and Steve Kerr cried together. Apparently, um, I mean, for whatever that's worth. But he is set to return. Now my question for you, June, is what kind of expectations do you have for this Warriors team once Draymond does return? Yeah, you know, I just think they're going to be more physical as a team. No. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just want to backtrack. Before we even talk about on-court, Golden State going forward and, and what I expect from them, Draymond Green told us a few things. He told us that he sat down with Steve Kerr and they cried it out. He said that he <laughs> spoke with Adam Silver and he told him he was going to retire and Adam Silver talked him out of it. And then he goes at Stephen A. Smith for, he misquotes Stephen A. Smith and then goes at him and says he disagrees with him because Stephen A. Smith said that Steph Curry is not really a vocal leader, which we don't know him to be one. Draymond Green took that and said, Steve Kerr called Steph Curry a bad leader. And I know there's this whole new media thing with Draymond Green or whatever the case is. And I'm not here to like poke fun at or anything, but Draymond Green should just focus on basketball right now, in my opinion. And I'm not here to shut up and dribble him. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be on a podcast. I actually... I'm entertained with some of the videos that come out of that. Um, I like watching him on the floor. However, things have just gotten so out of hand that he had to go to rehab. Like, he had to go to counseling. He had to go take time away from the game to hopefully avoid further conflict. And so now that he's back, I don't think he needs to be focusing on anything but the main thing, which is trying to win another championship in Golden State. Whether you guys see it as possible or not, I think that's their main goal. And we saw when he left, they started to find some success. And they haven't been playing the most consistent good basketball. Uh, However, if if he understands that he just needs to fall in line and do what it do, they can they they will be better because they are in my opinion a better team with Draymond Green but he has to he has to just 
he has to find that control. And and I'm going to be the guy, like, the man is 30-something years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not here, like, you know, I don't want to over overthink it too much. You know, it's just like, bro, you, 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 you did your suspension. You know what I'm saying? To me, this is like last straw. You're not going to get, like, another one of these chances where if you wild out again, it's going to be like, bro, they're going to exile you at this point. So I think he knows what's going on, and, and I think he'll he'll – keep it together um i'm just glad he's back we love we love watching draymond green and and what he brings to basketball it just gets annoying when he starts playing football you know what i'm saying <laughs> kev how you feeling about it about his return and uh the warriors future uh i mean i'm i'm a draymond fan so i like seeing him back i think when he's on the court and he's playing basketball like like julian said he's you know one of the probably the smartest player at all times while he's on the court and uh, one of the best defenders while he's on the court. Um, And he can, he, he brings so much to golden state on offense, not even just in the half court, but in transition, the way he can handle the ball and the way he knows where his guys are going to be again, goes back to his IQ while he's on the court. Um, As far as I'm making the playoffs that those last three spots in the West, it's going to be a gauntlet. Uh, between the Lakers, the Rockets, the Suns, and the Warriors, and any one of the—I mean, not any, maybe not anyone—but like Phoenix, the Lakers, the Warriors. I think those three teams can really just find something and and run and run with it. Like those three teams have the ability to run off seven, eight, nine, ten-game win streak, and you know jump back up to to out of the play-in picture and into that six, five, six seed uh, talk. But um, yeah, they they need they're gonna need Draymond in order to get to that point. Um, I, you know, the the I guess the question is who do they need more? Do they need Draymond or do they need Clay to get back to form? Uh, but I think having Draymond is definitely you know better than not having him on the floor. Obviously, uh, you're talking about a guy who's all all NBA defense, uh, probably gonna be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. So, you know, obviously having that guy on the court helps more than it hurts um, when he's not when he's not putting you in positions that hurt you, um, swinging on guys, putting them in chokeholds and things like that. Don't forget, don't forget the stomping on guys, too. Yeah. Yeah. I will say and I'm, I'm a big like I said, I'm a Draymond fan, so it could be me just being biased. I think he gets a lot of shit and I don't think he means to necessarily hit people or hurt people. I think a lot of this, like the, the kicking, the kicking up of the leg, I think he's, he's a flailer. I think he likes to sell contact, but if you're, you Kev, both, Kev, both, yeah, Kev, me, come hold on, on Kev. let me make this point. You both have played ball. You both played hoops. Would you be able to not looking at a guy, throw your leg up and kick him in the nuts? Cause I, that quickly in that, in that fashion, Kev, I don't think I could. Kev, I'll give you the next three finishing moves that you got. He has a minute and a half highlight reel of odd plays. And I'm yeah. not here to – I'm not the – oh, he's – listen, I'm just saying, much like he's had a lot of time to reflect while he was off, we had a lot of time to reflect and put a lot of highlights together and see what the fuck has really gone on over the past eight years. And it's just kind of crazy. I'll still say the Sabonis thing. If Sabonis isn't grabbing his leg, you don't step on his chest. Fair. And I do that 
but the Marcus Smart over here, and then the there's there's nothing you know in the it's, it's a lot. Hundred percent, like the backhand to me was egregious. Like that one, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, Kev. If I pull your right shoulder, you're not gonna you're not gonna turn to the left. You know, like <laughs> no, this last one was probably the worst. I could see why he choked Gobert because he that's been like probably stewing in him for years. <laughs> like the 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 Cleveland that, that that was my biggest thing. The the finals they the reason they suspended him was for that. Like, well, that was because. They've let it slide already, and that was the, like, all right, we got it, we got to get him gone because Stephen Adams didn't get kicked in the dick on accident. All right, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, neither here nor there. We've, 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 er look, what's the men in black? We've erased that from our minds. We got fresh start Draymond pulling up within the next 10 days or so, and um, you know, I hope that he can come back a better player and um, and a better teammate from this. I do want to. Acknowledge the chat. Rodney said, uh, haha, Lou thinks I didn't see that. He just posted in the chat that it was accidental and he deleted it. Message deleted. That's crazy. But Rodney said Golden State was never a leader type of team in my views. And I could see what he's saying. There's not that one guy on Golden State who you look toward. Um, to me, I think during the championship run, it was probably Andre Iguodala, right? Like, that was probably the guy who was vocal, maybe not so vocal as far Draymond as, like, a Marcus Smart, huh? I think Draymond, too. And, and, and yeah, and Draymond is definitely um, have has some leadership qualities and, and has played a leadership role throughout the years. Um, a good point that Stephen A. Smith made about Draymond is that he was just trying to say, you know, first of all, Draymond, I didn't say Steph Curry's a bad leader. I said he's not a vocal leader. But he also made the point that if Draymond was LeBron's teammate or if this happened, what Draymond's doing with any of LeBron's teammates, the media would be getting on LeBron's ass. Like, it would be no question that LeBron nah, would facts. be questioned to boy. as much as the person that is committing these flagrants or, or getting kicked out of games. And... You know, obviously, LeBron's magnitude is further than anybody's. But at the same time, LeBron and Steph Curry have a lot of similarities as far as being the best player on their team, being a champion on their team, um, and being the guy that everybody kind of looks towards when it comes to talking about winning. So um, there's a fair point that they did. And then Lou said he's a tweeter and deleter. Hey, I am too. I post on Instagram and I delete it. I tweet and I delete it sometimes. And he also said, before we get out of here, uh, I want to hear June say something nice about the Knicks. His head's going to explode. So I don't have anything nice to say about the Knicks. What I will say is a fact. I will say is they are 4-0 since the OG Ananobi trade, and I do believe that they go and make that 5-0 um, tonight against the Trailblazers at home. I got into a little couple little arguments on Twitter because there was a discourse between – 6-1 Jalen Brunson and 6-1 Donovan Mitchell and maybe the difference between them. I just tried to point out that one jumps out the gym like Dwayne Wade, the other um, plays under the rim. I didn't say one is better than the other at that moment. I do have my thoughts on who is. Go ahead, Kev. No, I I, I just want to like dispel a myth because I think this is people, everybody, I, I heard this when I was young and then I realized when I was older, this is not true. Your wingspan is not the same as your height. And Donovan Mitchell has a six foot ten wingspan, so there's your difference. Donovan Mitchell can disrupt you 
on defense. Donovan Donovan Mitchell can disrupt passing lanes. He can do a lot more for you than Jalen Brunson, who has a six four wingspan. He's got a whole half foot in wingspan on on Jalen. And that's why Donovan Mitchell is an elite defender who can guard the one through. I would say the one and two comfortably. Um, a three, you know, you're kind of stretching it, but at the same time, you know, there are some threes that Donovan Mitchell can guard. Uh, Jalen Brunson is going to have a lot of trouble even with some two guards because of lack of wingspan and uh, and uh, his size, <laughs> slick hate, just what I expected. I showed love. Listen, bro, I said y'all four and zero. I think y'all go five and zero tonight. Um, but there is discourse, man, and 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 to for me, just to think that. Jalen Brunson all over is better than Donovan Mitchell is, is, is a crazy thought, but go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. You've, usually this is a Monday episode due to some travels that I had this weekend. It turned into a Tuesday episode. We appreciate you so much for tuning in live. Again, if you are listening on your streaming platforms, thank you so much. Could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We'll be back Thursday to talk wildcard weekend preview all the matchups. Um, I know one of the chats, one of the comments in the chat said we want to talk about all the coaching um, openings. We'll talk more about that on Thursday as well. We'll fit that into the pod. So tune into that. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Thank you. My name is Small Town EP. I was joined by your host, See You Soon June, and guest for the day, typical guest, Big Kev. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Thank you so much.